Hello and welcome to Dynamics Update. Uh, this time it's an interview episode and as usual I have Gustav Sundblad with me, my colleague. Hello. Hello everyone. And today we actually have a very very special guest who I met when I was at the MVP Summit in Redmond. Uh, Ryan, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi everybody, I'm, I'm Ryan. I'm the Vice President for Power Apps here at, uh, at Microsoft. So I look after the product and engineering team uh, for our, our flagship low-code platform. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that means my team also looks after a lot of the user experience layer used under both uh, Dynamics uh, CE and FNO applications. Uh, you know, for us, uh, Dynamics apps are architecturally, at least, uh, they are power apps just built by Microsoft and extended and, and customized by the community. Um, and so we, we really think about uh, all, all different aspects of the platform uh, in, in that broader umbrella of power apps. All right. Very cool. That's great. And I think you and you guys met at the MVP. There was a specific like area. Um, I mean, this is a Dynamics podcast, Dynamics FNO podcast. Sorry, um, but so uh, both me and you are very like coming from AX, AX uh, originally, yeah. of course, Accepta back in the day. And uh, I think I was actually at the convergence in Barcelona a couple of years yes. back when Power Apps was uh, was out. And I think it was like a hallelujah moment there. Everyone was like, "What? The end possibilities are endless. We can do this. And we can do this." And it was really cool. And I've been using. Power apps myself, but I think uh, one of the topics we would like to discuss later on today, or uh, is like how to make use of power apps in that ERP context. But I think you guys had a, or specifically you, Ryan, had a specific session there that I think you one wanted to um, to dig deep into as well. Yes, so I I really got stuck on the on the on the title. The title is Low Code Big AI and Everything We Got Wrong About the Future of Software. So that's a, a, bit, yeah. a bit humble, maybe. Yeah. But I also like the, the discussion that you had about um, the real thought about the citizen developers, because I think sort they have sort of gotten a bad rep mm. in that they are not the people who who can build the code. But But you had another view on this. Yeah. So, uh, A, uh, Gustav, I love that you bring up that Barcelona event. That was like my sixth week on the job at Microsoft. I joined uh, right before uh, we really started to come to market with uh, with PowerApps. And I was there at that event and, and cool. helped off that uh, demo. I think there was a very uh, uh, Zapta era style demo yeah. of uh, heavy construction equipment <laughs> uh, in a Power App um, up on stage. And, and look, at that time, it was... Um, it was very early for Power Platform. Yeah. I mean, that was that was long before we really merged the Power Apps and Automate Software Project with, uh, you know, the the rest of the Dynamics platform. It was long before we really had frankly hmm. viable uh, tools for production use. Um, but the vision was was there, and and I think you know to maybe come around to Johan's point, the vision was uh, as all visions of really early stage things inherently flawed in in some ways. Hmm. You know, and I think. Um, you know, at the time we were both, um, I would say, overly optimistic about the demand for, you know, average people with real jobs to wake up on a Tuesday morning and say, I want to build software. <laughs> um, you know, but, but also in, in some cases, um, you know, overly stratified in the difference between that type of a person and a professional. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the things we've realized is that the relationship is really important on both sides. Um, you know, there are people who are waking up uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday mornings and saying, I want my job to be better. And they are doing things to make it better that are within their power. 
Um, and I would say they are rarely going out and recreating an ERP from scratch. Um, but they, <laughs> at least not successfully, um, but they are, they are doing things around the boundaries of that software um, that are really important to their day job. And, and sometimes those things can be very effective. Sometimes those things can be very dangerous and having a relationship between, uh, you know, people that are understanding and responsible for code and people that are understanding and responsible for actually getting their jobs done. That is one of the most important innovations of, of, of Power Platform. Um, you know, just bringing those two ends of the spectrum to the same table, to the same toolkit um, has, has actually, I think, changed more than any one, uh, you know, feature or tool or, or capability um, uh, in and of itself. It's very cool. And the Power Platform, the Power Apps, is it like the power users? Is that where the power comes from? Or is it more of a, like a sales pitch, the power power thing? Because it really <laughs> because it really is like an empowerment tool, exactly that which you described. I've been seeing throughout many, many, not only the ERP implementations, when you do the process analysis, you see yeah. these things. Yeah, this is what we do every Monday. We take this Excel file, we do this, yes. we do that, we do this. It takes four hours. It's like, Yep. Okay, but does it need to take four hours? So it's really like an yeah. efficiency enhancement, like empowering uh, people to make a, make it a better business day, basically to make their life a little bit better yeah, uh, than exactly. what it is today. And that's yeah. really really where I see most of the usage today, which is really cool. Like yep. those little snippets of like processes. It's not as you say, it's not rebuilding ERP. God knows, however, that Excel. I think it was the most used ERP system yes. throughout yeah. the world, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and if you look at companies that are really going big with power platform and low code, one of the main things they're doing is to is is to reduce risk of yeah. those things that end up in Excel. Exactly. Um, you know, because when your system is inflexible and you are unable to meet the demands of real people with real jobs fast enough, life finds a way. You know, they will. You know, they they will. Uh, they and anything can be exported as a CSV, right? And and opened in Excel. And so, you know, I think what a lot of organizations over the last five or 10 years were able to sort of turn a blind eye to are you know, now realizing not only is that a huge potential for better productivity, you know, if I can go take a four hour a week or four hour a day process and compress it to seconds, you know, I'm driving real business value, but also a huge risk reduction factor. If I can keep that out of Excel under the desk and email and keep it tied to the core system that I've secured at the API layer that I've implemented role-based access control over, I'm improving the trust profile of the organization at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't accomplish all those tasks by forcing people to wait in line in the backlog, um, you know, and just funding more traditional software development. I have to sort of change the pace in the economics of yeah. That was a really good saying. I think life finds a way. That's a really perfect like evolution because exactly that's exactly what happens, right? If you're waiting on something to go live, and in the end, someone just fixes it with Excel or, yep. God forbid, a VB script somewhere. Um, and in the end, if you and if you finalize that kind of catchphrase, it would be like life finds a way, and then you need to maintain it. Uh, exactly. That's where it ends up. Uh, yeah. That IT and maintenance budgets, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but there was a person uh, in, a, in a large energy company who went by the name Dr. No internally. <laughs> Initially, global, global IT admin, very opposed to citizen development. Um, that person actually now works at Microsoft on Power Platform and is a huge advocate for, for Power Platform and good governance. But, uh, you know, shared at a Gartner conference in, in between, uh, you know, hey, I came around to this when I realized that a well-regulated open market mm -hmm. is generally better than a black market. 
exactly. And if you pretend it's not happening, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of externalities than you know, if you really embrace and, and serve it effectively. Absolutely. And I think that's where the center of excellence came in, right? That, that was a really good, like a big driver towards actually being able to say we have this uh, yeah. because the power apps were really cool because you could like yeah i can do this watch i can publish an app on my phone really cool right. but now you can actually combine it as well with at least a set of governance rules that you can make people feel safe and also ensure that it doesn't break because they are as critical as that excel file that we just mentioned absolutely and i think that's been a huge area of innovation for us over the last year or two is really mainstreaming governance at scale Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, not only do we have a whole kit of templates and parts in the Center of Excellence Starter Kit, we now have first class features in the product uh, called managed environments that allow you to, you know, by flipping a switch, get granular and proactive alerting, granular uh, controls over who can share what, implement best practice data policies, set up mm-hmm. even deployment pipelines between environments. Um, you know, we have customers, there's a, a public case study, a customer Lumen that is managing 3000 developer environments and funneling them into 120 production environments in Power Platform. And that's even a mid-sized company, uh, you know, and there are customers that are doing this at just massive, massive scale. Cool. Yeah, and I think, I think the strength on this is that you can have as much or as little governance as you want. Yeah. Because as, as I said, you, you could have the most necessary things in place right. so that you don't lose your data. It doesn't uh, head off somewhere and, and it doesn't force people to export it into an Excel file and place it on a thumb drive or something like that. Because that also gives you the creativity, but you can also have, once the app is so business critical that you absolutely need it, that you can't live without it, then you can adopt it into like uh, IT or, or full governance model. Yeah, mm. Absolutely. And usually before it becomes that critical, because at some point, you know, you want to, <laughs> you want to have somebody uh, looking at it uh, more, more closely if it's really driving a lot of value in the business. But, you know, I, I think that, that's starting to change the nature of how customers invest here. You know, I think the first wave of governance investment was really reactive and defensive. You know, let's 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 hold the castle and protect people from getting access to sensitive information. Those are important, but insufficient. And I think we're seeing a a new wave of thinking in a lot of customer organizations be really, how do I support it? How do I encourage it even in the company as a, you know, as a culture and as a community and have technical resources ready to come either take over or at least assist the you know top 10 percent of use cases that really rise up and need that extra help um you know because there you know a lot of companies are realizing hey i've got 400 500 a thousand four thousand people building something in power platform every month most of them i did not have to hire to be a software engineer but they are actively they're actively trying to make the company better with software the cost of enabling them to succeed versus the the ROI, I mean, that math pencils as opposed to, you know, just pretending they don't exist or, or trying yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. And it's two different conversations, right? Two different answers, really. When, when I, whenever I encounter as like ERP implementation, it's two different forums, if I, if I hardline it. The uh, one is IT, which is like, yeah. how do we lock it down? How do we ensure? Right. Not, not, not always, of course, but uh, most sure. generally, it's more like, how do I enable this policy? How do I, yeah. what's the difference between production and sandbox? These types of, you know, right pretty common technical questions uh, whereas the other one from business controllers and like um cfos is like okay how do we make the, make this um work in the most efficient way possible and how do i enable my users to use this in, in a so exactly. you need to be able to answer both because the sell pitch 
is super easy, right? Because you can spin right. up a demo app very fast. It's really yes. like the power of the platform, right? Yeah. Whereas the other one requires at least some understanding of the actual platform and then the technical, right. both limitations as well, to be clear. I mean, there are limitations. It's not always like a perfect. I usually describe it as a very good an efficiency enhancement tool, which works very good in combination, specifically yeah. for us coming from, I'm rarely in a conversation only about Power Platform. It's always about right. FNO together right. with Power Platform. So I'm right. at an advantage because I can find, yes. you can put it here and you can put it here. I, I don't have to start from scratch. That's one of my advantages as well. Uh, but what's your take there? I mean, on, on uh, is that a good summary to, to, to like yeah. phrase it as an enhancement tool rather than maybe, I mean, if you have a super business critical that needs to run on milliseconds, like responsiveness, then maybe if no isn't your answer either, but, right. uh, but then you need, <laughs> yeah. but at least it's not maybe, um, uh, maybe power app is not your weapon of first choice, at least maybe you need to go somewhere else, but it can do something else. Yeah. Is that like, what, what, what say? Yeah, no, I don't think that's inaccurate. Look, I, I am very proud of my hammer that does not make everything a nail. And no, exactly. there are definitely certain, uh, there's certain places where power platform really makes a lot of sense. One of those is, you know, kind of, create those very specific experiences or views or, you know, micro productivity tasks for very specific types of users, you know, for whom hunting and pecking around the front door of an ERP system is actually inefficient. You know, maybe it's something they don't need to do every day. They're not the financial comptroller. They're somebody sitting in a department over here. Um, but I'd much rather have them work with actual up to the minute data then mess around in a, in a spreadsheet. That's definitely one one important category. Yeah, I would yeah. say, you know, another important category is is similar, but it's when those processes cross data boundaries with other systems. Hmm. Um, you know, no ERP exists in a vacuum. You know, <laughs> what do I? What, what about when I am? You know, uh, correlating month end close with data in my sales pipeline and yeah, you know, other forecasting information somewhere else. Not every customer is on one beautifully unified stack, right? Or we have conglomerates that use three or four different CRM systems yeah, and course. two different ERPs. Being able to create that layer of a bridge is really valuable for yeah. you, know, you know for for a lot of organizations. Um, you know, and then in terms of sophistication, I would say that one is 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 tricky. There there is no real bright line by which uh you know past a certain point power platform is not okay for sophistication i think there mm -hmm. there are you know there are customers uh, with power apps deployed as mission critical frontline tools to a workforce of thirty thousand people distributed around the world um you know, uh, you know there are uh, apps and instances of dataverse that have a, more than a million monthly active users including your know, really high volume concurrent rights uh, you know compressed into certain time frames um, you know, this is the platform we build several multi-billion dollar businesses on and Microsoft has thousands of professional engineers ourselves working on every single day. Um, and so it can do more advanced things. Um, that doesn't mean it has to do all of them. <laughs> definitely, no, no, exactly. This is that, um, that it makes sense. And I would say in the hands of professionals, we often see Power Platform really be hybridized with um, other components, you know, let me let me spin up a serverless function in Azure or connect yeah, to an exactly. API that I'm managing or write a piece of UX code in PCF and, and drop it in. You know, in those cases, it really, you know, to your point, it's not magic wand. It really comes down to where do I as a customer want to own the technical debt going forward um, versus where do I want to push it to Microsoft? And what is the cost benefit analysis on each of those components of the solution? Um, and there are certainly things where it will make sense for a customer or their partner to own 
own that technical debt and specificity going forward. There are other places where it does not, uh, you know, core integration with systems, security with AAD, scaling a, a, a transactional backend, piping it into data analytics. Those are repeatable solved problems that you know, we shouldn't be reinventing every single time. Exactly. Right. It's not Minecraft. It's something that exactly. you can do. That's really cool. And as I said, I mean, uh, I personally come into contact with it, apart from playing with it for myself, I come into contact with it in a professional like ERP context. So you have this big box of tools already. It's more like finding, okay, where can I do this? And then there I really always come back to the looking at how people work, regardless of ERP, really. Like this is something I spend four days a week, four hours a week doing. Can it be uh, enhanced can i do this better not only from cost savings data collection is another one yeah. which is really like super super clear like i i need to do this i need to enter this data if i enter it incorrectly then i mess it up over here yeah. you can do it in excel but the risk is high and it's like as you say maintainability yeah. super easy like sellable areas where you can really where you use power apps specifically for for those um still haven't gotten the hang of power virtual agents in the erp mm. context but I'm getting there. I'm, yeah. I'm, we're getting there. I got another interview previously. They were like, but did you, then you can ask questions like, can you show me a list of all these vouchers? You can actually right. talk with yes. the ERP. That's where you can really leverage um, AI and power virtual agents. But I need to try it out. <laughs> I know, and I, I think people are going to realize pretty quickly, especially with all the advancements in large language, that power virtual agents mm-hmm. just becomes the best way to build your own version of chat GPT that's very yeah. focused on specific data sources and specific uh, use cases. Um, exactly. and, and I think that's really rapidly where that tech is, is heading. I mean, already today, you know, I can point a power virtual agent at a, a, a knowledge base and it will answer or fall back to answer um, in the same type of style as a, yeah. as a GPT LLM over everything in that knowledge base, even if I haven't already coded a deterministic, um, you know, conversation flow. So, really- you know, I, I do think we're going to start continuing to reimagine a whole lot of, of software and even even things that we thought looked like forms over data business apps a year ago will start to take new uh, modalities um, yeah. pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think that one of the, the important parts, as you said, with, with the large language modules today is that we don't have to learn all of the languages right. because it already understands them. Right. It, it could it could be Swedish, it could be English, it could be C sharp, it could be PowerShell, it could be um, search SEO yep. on in Google, for instance. Yep. So just the fact that we can say something to it and it can formulate it into something that the system actually understands and work with. <laughs> with your AI is trying to exactly it's trying yes. to tell you something right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's way ahead of you. You want <laughs> apparently, yeah, apparently, yeah. But you know, you're you're spot on, and I think look, this if you if we zoom back to the original conversation of kind of the relationship between business people and hmm. technical implementers, you know, as the tools get better, what they do is they compress the time and the cost between a human with a need and instructions to computers that are viable to deploy at scale. And the more we can compress that cost, the more we can actually experiment and iterate and work much more flexibly with the humans who actually have the the need. Um, And that, I mean, that has been really the mission of low code in general is just change the economics of implementation 
There are no magic wands, but there are compression of time, compression of effort, compression of cost. And the more we can do that, the more we can open up what we can afford to create and, and iterate on. Um, because there's just a, a lot of software that's not getting built today um, for economic reasons, not necessarily yeah. technology reasons. No, but that's one of the more, more common use cases I do as well. I, apart from demoing, like proof of concepting, how would you do this, like, let's say, commerce consignment application, just build something that works good enough, and then you can try it out very, very quickly and get feedback very quickly. That's what you say, like enabling, you don't need to know C sharp to do that, uh, which exactly. you used to, to have to do. So that's another one of the use cases we more commonly see in ERP. Do I need, how can I try to try out this new process without like redesigning or building new views in FNO. Sure. Well, let's try it here in Power Apps and see how it works and get instant feedback. That's the very exactly. good gratification. You're up and running in, in a day maximum. Exactly. And and the cool thing is you can actually be up and running. You know, it's not just a figma exactly. mock-up of a, of a user experience. You're not treating your users as research subjects. You're really actively collaborating with them on yeah, real exactly. running code. And, and it, you, know, you may find after a day that that's not the right answer. And so you know, I need to pivot, but just the fact that I got there so quickly with a real tangible piece of software. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not long ago that would have been months of Gantt charts and requirements documents and uh, user acceptance testing and design sprints and it, you know, really being able to take a lot of that uh, stuff out of software that's not software is is driving a lot of the innovation and pace on the on the software part. Yeah, and, and I mean, you have the, you have the whole. Uh, connector model which is also a really important one that that trying to to talk to apis and understand authentication all of that you, mm. you don't have to look into that 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 just works yeah 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 and that's again the business controller is going to say yes and the it management guy is going to say oh, okay but how do i know how do i log how do yeah. i do that so you need to be able to kind of answer but that's one of the benefits as well i mean if you would have done this in, in FNO, um, you would have to adhere to all the limitations and the benefits of FNO. Here, I'm guessing that Power Platform here is built, uh, is not like isolated to application object servers. You have a, these islands of data and the, the architecture is different. It's more cloud oriented, right? So it's more... It's more future proof, if I'm going to use a, a bad term a here. It's a term to use in 2020. Yeah, it's a different, exactly. <laughs> no, don't shoot me. But, um, but it's it's um, easier architecture uh, to work with, both from scaling perspective, because it's always like, does it scale? I, I would imagine it's easier to scale on Power Power Platform than it is on, on FNO. Maybe not nowadays, but the, the, it used to be at least. We put a lot of work into into the FNO side of, of scale for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you look at it, Microsoft Dataverse, which is really the platform that and the, you know, the engineering group that runs a lot of these cloud-based uh, backends, is, you know, is by far the largest driver of usage of underlying services like Azure SQL and, and things like that. We're just... We're just creating all the management and scale and abstraction layers on top of them so that mm -hmm. customers don't have to worry about that low level of exactly virtual machines do I have provisioned and you know how how big is the underlying database and do I have it geo replicated the right way? I mean, all those things are things that in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five, you know, we should not have to be spending our effort and time on as implementers of software. Exactly. That's a very good benefit. I think the conversation is like um, Power Platform in itself, Power Apps specifically, and, and from a Dynamics point of view, trying to like um, understand how do we make best use of it. And I think we covered most of those scenarios as well. And it's like understand, I think one of the key takeaways from 
from me and from like if anyone's listening is to to uh, the same goes with dataverse as well because it's kind of like if you only work with fno before it's like dataverse do i need it uh, i still write right. okay maybe i need it maybe i don't just right. like understand it so you can answer these two questions because they will come um yeah. both from a developer perspective you need to explain it to the architecture guys the infra guys or, and girls yep. uh, as well as the sales part understanding what this implies why do i need to spend 40 hours building this when i can do it in two hours mm. in a power app exactly. um, if you can say if you know these things you don't necessarily have to build them but just understand how it works then you i hope at least your your life as a developer architect controller or whatever will be a little bit better uh yeah. and make benefit for the company as well of course yeah focus uh, on the more interesting problems i think is exactly really right yeah. And, and solve them in efficient ways. Yeah, exactly. And shift the burden of maintaining it to Microsoft, where you actually get real network effects from being able to mm -hmm. do it in aggregate as opposed to do it in a silo over and over and over again. Exactly. Um, you know, for, from a dataverse perspective, and if you look at just the raw economics of you know, from for customers invested in Power Platform, when I cover a user with a full per user license of Power Apps, they have unlimited access to use as many applications as they want hmm. built on, you know, the whole system that we build several multi-billion dollar businesses on top of today, uh, you know, which independently retail for a lot more than, than that Power Apps license. And so you get to really interesting unit economics at scale because it means for customers the marginal software cost of every new app they deploy goes to zero very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they can use that not only to mitigate risk and drive innovation, but frankly, also to consolidate a lot of other sort of isolated software workloads, um, which, by the way, were not in aggregate easily addressable to data, um, to BI and ultimately to AI. And so as I start to pull all those things together onto a common platform layer, um, I'm actually not just my reducing my risk now, I'm actually preparing myself to ask more interesting questions and, and be ready for yeah. uh, a much more AI-capable future. Uh, and enabling a lot of scenarios that weren't there before, uh, making use, I mean, just using Dataverse in itself, together with FNO as our weapon of choice yep. here, just yep. enables you to do a lot more things, um, as long as you can explain to the data policy guys that, okay, I'm, sh I'm ensuring that it only stays here or it can go here as well, uh, or don't, it depends exactly. on... on Depends on your line of work, I, I would imagine. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think you brought up an interesting uh, thing there because uh, regarding the licensing, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the thing I, I hear from customers a lot is that, that licensing for a power platform is, is fairly expensive since mm -hmm. we need it for all of the users and so on. But I think a, an important part to understand there that is that if you do one or two power apps for a couple of users, then it's it's fairly uh, expensive for what you get out of it. But it requires sort of a, a commitment. If you if you commit to Power Platform and you start using it, then the licensing is is still is it's per user. So so it doesn't really matter how many. Uh, I mean, the only thing extra that you're actually paying for is is uh, basically consumption, which you do anywhere else anyway. So. Hmm. Yeah, no, and I think there are a lot of customers figuring out that actually Power Platform is very affordable and relative to how you use it um, and what you get for it. And, and that's not academic. Forrester went and talked to 33 Power Apps customers that all spend more than a million dollars a year on Power Apps licenses hmm. and, and found that in their first year, 
not only do they recoup that cost, they garner an additional million dollars of benefit in the first 12 months. And then even as they spend significantly more over the course of three years, their benefit actually grows at a triple digit rate. And so they end up exiting you know, a three-year time period with a, with a significant multiplier on top of that initial million dollar ROI. Um, and, and so that, you know, that's just, it's, and that's aggregate across 33. I mean, HSBC told them they made their money back in the first six days. Um, with, the, with the particular solution that they were they were able to deploy, so but it does change the thinking from sort of cost per workload yeah. to sort of more of a macroeconomic. As I invest in the capability and use it across a large body of use cases, mm-hmm. what is the the incremental value return to the business, the risk reduced, and the efficiency of deploying it um, yeah. compared to what I otherwise would have done. It is it's, it is sort of like thinking about the cost of infrastructure. It needs yeah. to be there, but once it's there, we've already paid for it. Exactly. Yeah. But that's where the problem comes in. The, the tricky part, like the soft measurement, because again, with the scenario of making life better for like business yeah. controllers, uh, you save four hours a week. That's great. But as long as you can say that they save four hours a week, uh, that's right. a good ROI, right? Because that you can actually measure. So I think that's where you need to really be able to if you're starting from scratch, um, yep. I think maybe then you can build something that can actually leverage like easily, easily measurable value. If you're doing it as an enhancement towards FNO or CE, right. uh, then that's the tricky part, making sure that, okay, what are we actually using it for and how does it give us value? So Correct. if you can get that measured, then I think it should be a no-brainer to, to like leverage it, of course. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot of good templates for that in that, in fact, we put that whole Forrester economic mm-hmm. study on website now but there's a lot of a lot of good thinking templates about how to how to calculate both the hard return and mm. the soft benefit soft thing, of, yeah. of low code but even those soft benefits are real i mean if you, you know, sure in any one scenario you can make arguments one way or the other but mm. the bigger question to have with a customer is look five years from now what is the cost of not changing the way that your humans interact with their core financial system and information yeah. You know, what is the cost of of still having everything under the desk in a spreadsheet and even the cost of risk of that information getting out of the company? Um, what is the cost of not putting it into better BI? What is the cost of not making it ready for AI? And how are you going to be relevant in that in that time horizon? Um, you know, that becomes a very different type of conversation than, uh, you know, sort of looking at one solution or one isolated use case at a time. Yeah, so, so that's, that's a really important part that not making a decision also comes with a cost mm. oh, absolutely. and and that it's it's very easy to think that if i don't do anything that it won't cost anything yeah but it will absolutely and yes yeah yeah that's a good argument um i think that's a fairly good place to end the discussion okay. ryan do you have anything else that you would like to say before we hang up for today I, no, I just I really appreciate the high quality discussion and questions, and it's really encouraging to see you know all aspects of the BizApps community and especially the FNO community sort of having these conversations right now. We've we've come a long way from yeah. uh, early demo on a stage in in Barcelona all those years ago. <laughs> I think um, for me the next chapter is is even more exciting of where we go next. So uh, yes, that's a long way of saying thank you and thanks for what you do. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, and, and Ryan, th- thank you, Lars, for being able to join us. It was really fun talking to you. Cheers. Happy to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Well. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.